The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Come on back, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. In a Bible, Bible app, there are Bibles in the back if you need one. The book of Revelation is easy to find. It is the last book of the Bible. We are in chapter 5, which is really a, a Mount Everest in the book of Revelation and the Bible itself. A pinnacle of hope and glory and praise. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit's help, and then Nick's going to read our passage. Holy Spirit, we ask you to grant the gift of illumination, to open the eyes of our hearts, to see, enjoy, and worship our Savior, we pray. Amen. A reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. 
And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nick. This book was first addressed to seven struggling churches located in present-day Turkey. See if you can relate to any of these struggles. The church in Ephesus, whose love had grown cold. The church in Smyrna, facing hardship, persecution, and tempted to fear. The church in Pergamum, enduring suffering, and compromising their allegiance to Jesus in idolatry and immorality. The church in Thyatira, also tolerating immorality and compromising their allegiance to Christ. The church in Sardis, spiritually dying and needing works to show spiritual life. The church in Philadelphia, having little power and just needing to endure and keep going to the end. The church in Laodicea, an affluent church, a wealthy church, and a self-satisfied church with little need or desire for Jesus. Enduring suffering, tempted to fear, hearts growing cold, allegiance to Christ getting compromised, material wealth satisfying them instead of Jesus. Can you relate to any of those? You're supposed to. Those were seven real churches, but the number seven is symbolic in Revelation for completeness. Chapters one through three are setting us up to address the complete church of Jesus, his church in all places at all times, and their struggles, friends, their struggles reflect the struggles that church would face over and over again for centuries until Jesus comes back. God is addressing those seven churches and the entire church in the time period between the first and second coming of Christ, including this church, including you and me. Suffering, cold hearts, Compromised allegiance, satisfied with our wealth, our stuff. What's the answer for those challenges and struggles? I mean, what are you trying that you might address those things in your own life? Maybe trying to escape them through substances or excessive alcohol. Maybe trying to escape through pornography or binging entertainment, or constant scrolling, which can be my temptation. Maybe trying to escape your circumstances themselves. If just X would change, everything would be fine. And maybe the change is needed. But do any of those really ultimately work? I mean, what do we really need, friends? To endure suffering? for cold hearts, for wavering allegiance, for not getting satisfied with our stuff, but Jesus, 
The answer is we need a vision of heaven. That's how Revelation 4 and 5 answer. Chapter 4, a door is opened to the throne room of God. And that sets the stage for a drama that now unfolds in chapter 5. Chapter 4 is the setting. Chapter 5 is the drama. And beholding that drama is what you and I need right now. That drama unfolds in three parts. Problem, solution, and response. First, the problem. The problem is no one is worthy. Problem, no one worthy. God's God's throne, like I said, is the focus of chapter 4. If John were writing to us today, he might write of a heavenly vision of a heavenly oval office and resolute desk. The seat of authority and power, that's the idea. The throne is about God's sovereignty, his rule and reign over all. But how will God's reign be effective on this earth? He is holy and we are not. How will God bring his kingdom to redeem a people, a fallen people, and transform our world? His plan to do so is found in a scroll in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven Seals. This scroll is written on both sides, which would have been unusual. It indicates the fullness of God's plan, his complete plan, his redemptive plan, and holy judgments in full. But this scroll is sealed with seven seals. To break a seal means you have the authority to execute the plans in the scroll. To open these seals means you are qualified to bring God's redemptive plans and purposes, redeeming a people and transforming this world. So the angel asks in verse 2, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? In other words, who has the right, who has the authority to execute God's plans and God's purposes in in the earth? Who's qualified to do so? It's like the legend of King Arthur, centered around Excalibur, the magical sword that is embedded in an anvil and a a boulder. On that sword is inscribed, quote, who so pulleth out this sword of the stone and the anvil is rightwise born king of all England. In other words, whoever could pull out that sword. Whoever had the ability to do so had the right to rule England. They were the true king of England. That's the issue here. Who has the right? Who has the authority? Who has the qualifications to rule as king and bring God's purposes to pass? Verse 3 is the problem. And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. 
And John writes, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. No one anywhere is found worthy, qualified. Listen, if the scroll remains sealed, God's redeeming, transforming plans in the earth are not carried out. A closed scroll means God's saving purposes are not realized. This world has been so broken since the garden, so filled with injustice and pain, and that brokenness extends to our cities, our streets, ourselves. We need this scroll opened. But no one is found with the authority the right to do so. So John weeps loudly. He's wailing, I imagine. It would be, be good for us just for a moment to feel his sorrow. To feel the, the poverty of all human attempts to fix what is broken in our world and in us. To feel the, the bankruptcy of all mere human solutions for our world and you and me. No, no celebrity can do what we most need. Not your favorite singer, movie star, or influencer. None of them can do for you what you most need. No, no technological innovation. Our phones, our computers, AI... None of it can bring what we truly need in this world and in you and me. No, no politician can do so either. We need human government in this life, but human government cannot fix what most needs to be fixed in us and around us. Listen, Joe Biden can't and Donald Trump can't. The Democrats can't. The Republicans can't. No politician or political party can open the scroll and execute God's redeeming, transforming plans in the earth. The, the poverty of mere human solutions, shouldn't it cause us to weep sometimes as well? But as a squire named Arthur came and was able to remove the sword Excalibur, showing that he had the right to rule England, so one is found worthy with the right to open this scroll. That's the solution. Secondly, having seen the problem, let's see the solution. The solution is the worthy one. The solution is the worthy one, beginning in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Put away the tissues, John. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and break its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah, a reference to Genesis 49, where the patriarch Judah mentions his son Judah as a lion. 
and says of Judah, from Judah, one will come with a scepter and a ruler's staff symbolizing kingship. The root of David is similarly a messianic title referencing God's promise to King David that from David's line, a king would come to reign forever. He, the lion, he is qualified to execute God's plans for he has conquered. How? Verse 6. John looks. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. This kind of literature loves to mix metaphors. He turns to see a kingly lion, a, a ferocious lion who conquered. He turns and what does he see? A lamb. A lamb standing, notice, as though it had been slain, bearing his scars, maybe, glorified wounds of his sacrifice, maybe. The Passover lamb from Exodus is being echoed, and the suffering servant led like a lamb to slaughter in Isaiah 53 is being echoed. So catch this, the lion conquered as a lamb. The king conquered by sacrificing himself. But, but he's standing, did you see that? Meaning he's resurrected, he's, he's alive after his sacrifice, victorious over sin and death. And notice in verse six, it continues, he has seven horns, and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Remember, we're dealing with symbolism here. Seven symbolizing completeness, horns symbolizing power. He has complete or all power. Seven eyes symbolizing complete vision. He is all-seeing, all-knowing. He is omnipotent and omniscient. And the seven eyes are identified with the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit sent into the earth. Verse 7, he went. I just, just try to imagine the drama of no one worthy. Oh, wait, there's a lion. Oh, wait, he's a lamb. And he went. And without hesitation or difficulty, took the scroll containing all of God's plans and purposes. He took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. He can break the seals. He can execute the plans. He can bring God's transforming kingdom to bear. The all-powerful kingly lion who conquered, who conquered, as a slaughtered lamb. This is the paradox of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In 1738, Jonathan Edwards, probably the greatest theologian of this continent, 
preached one of the great sermons in American history from this passage, meditating on the lion-lamb dichotomy. And he said, quote, there is an admirable conjunction joining together, an admirable, admirable conjunction of very diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. And a contemporary pastor described those diverse excellencies like this. Lion-like glory with lamb-like humility. Lion-like transcendence and lamb-like condescension. Lion-like majesty and lamb-like mercy and meekness. Lion-like power to break the seals and wrap up history with lamb-like servanthood, sacrificing himself. Lion-like stilling the storm in his earthly ministry, stilling the winds and waves with a word, mingled with lamb-like refusal to come off of the cross and save himself. Lion-like authority when he says, all authority in heaven on earth is given to me. Lamb-like grace when he says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. This is the paradox of the gospel. And it is the paradigm for following the lamb who is the lion. The paradigm for the Christian life, this is an aside, the paradigm for the Christian life is the paradox of the lion lamb for us. You follow the lion lamb when you don't demand your way, but put others' interests above your own, Philippians 2. You follow the lion lamb when you sacrifice time and energy to, in love, serve one another, Galatians 5. You follow the lion lamb when you embrace rejection and humiliation to be salt and light and bring good news to others, Matthew 5. You follow the lion lamb husbands when you sacrifice to serve your wife with Christ-like sacrificial love, Ephesians 5. For friends, the lion has conquered as a lamb. It's problem, solution, third response. The response is worship. The response is worship the worthy one, verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, a new song now, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Notice why. For 
you were slain. Why is he worthy? To open the seals, for you were slain. For you sacrificed yourself, and by your blood, by your sacrifice, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Why is he worthy? Well, because he was slain, and by his blood ransoms people for God. That's Exodus language, redeems people, frees people, sets them free from every tribe, language, people, and nation, from the Tarahumara. Some of the Tarahumara were purchased by the Lamb. That's what you just saw. And together, this multiracial, multi-ethnic people, together we are a kingdom and priest to our God, access to God, representing him to a world around us with his love and mercy. And one day we shall reign on the earth. The privilege forfeit at the garden is restored to us as all things are made new. And that's just song one. Oh, we could preach multiple sermons from this passage. Let's look at song, song two as the worship expands. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That means a whole lot of angels. Translation, a lot of angels saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain, the lion who conquered as a lamb. He was slain. Worthy is he to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The living creatures, the elders, and the countless angels echo to the lamb what was ascribed to God in chapter 4. In chapter 4, the elders said to God, ascribe to God glory and honor and power. And here they sing the same to the Lamb. Friends, no book in the Bible is more explicit about the full deity of Jesus Christ than the book of Revelation. Now, this book is a, is a gift. No book of the Bible is more explicit about the full godness of Jesus Christ than the book of Revelation. It is undeniable in Revelation that our God is triune and that Jesus is God himself come in the flesh. And then the circle of worship expands further in verse 13. And I heard every creature... <laughs> Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, both of them, God the Father, God the Son, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Listen, every creature will bow to him and acknowledge him as Lord, as King as ruler, and if you've not yet done so, you need to do so. This is the opportunity to say, 
Jesus is Lord. I surrender to you and I trust in you as Savior. Every creature will do so. Now, this is the answer the first century church needed, those seven churches, and the answer the complete church of Jesus throughout the time period between his first and second coming needs as well, including our church, including you and me. This is the answer we need to endure suffering and keep going. The answer we need for when our hearts grow cold. The answer we need for when our allegiances begin to shift. The answer we need for false teaching and false worship and idolatry of our hearts and immorality. The answer we need when money satisfies us more than Jesus. The answer is to see the lion who conquered as a lamb and realize in your heart and mind he is worthy. It really comes down to who or what will we worship? That is the question running through this whole book. Who or what will we praise most of all? Think about it for yourself. Who or what is most worthy is occupying the place of supreme allegiance and devotion in your heart and mind. Who or what receives your highest praise? This vision, it can be for us like going to the eye doctor. If you need corrective lenses like I do, You go to the optometrists, if you've done this, and they put that thing on your face, and they click in different lenses, and they ask you these questions. Is this better or this better? Do you like one or two? Is three or four or five or six? Have you done that? Some of you, like me, I'm very nearsighted. One or two, three or four. Is this better or this better? And what they're trying to do is correct what was blurry to be no longer blurry anymore so that you see as you rightly should see. That's what's happening here. These kind of corrective lenses for our soul, bringing into focus ultimate reality, which gets really blurry for us, and helping us see what's really going on in our world ultimately. That the scroll has been broken. It seals, uh, scroll opened, seals broken. The lion lamb is executing all of God's plans and purposes to redeem a people and transform our world. And so he is worthy of our worship now and tomorrow and forever. Will we wear these corrective lenses? The quadriplegic Johnny Erickson Tata once said, quote, I want to stay in the habit of glancing at my problems and gazing at my Lord. You might want to write that down. I want to, she said, stay in the habit of glancing at my problems. They are real. Not saying deny those. I want to stay in the habit of glancing at my problems and then gazing at my Lord. I cannot apply this 
better than that. I tend to gaze at my problems. I like to gaze at the challenges of midlife, the aging process, the blessings and challenges that accumulate in midlife. I like to gaze at them and have them fill my vision alone so that ultimate reality becomes very, very blurry for me if I can see it at all. I need these corrective lenses. So yeah, I glance at the problems. But then I gaze at the lion. Well, do you need the same? So friends, glance at your problems of suffering and hardship, which are hard. By all means, lament the pain. By all means, lament the difficulty. And then gaze at your Lord. God himself entered this suffering fallen world and experienced suffering personally. The lion became a lamb. Gaze at him and, and worship. Make the first song your song. By his blood, he ransomed you for God, making us a kingdom and priests to our God, and ye, you, we shall reign on the earth. Or pick the second song. Glance at your problems when your heart grows cold or your allegiance begins to shift or gets compromised. We are prone to wander, are we not? Be honest with God about what clouds your vision. Be honest with God about what is distracting you from ultimate reality. Be honest about what you're trying to use to escape. The substances, the scrolling, the ripcord you want to pull on your circumstances. Glance at those things and then gaze at your Lord. And say with the living creatures, elders and countless angels, worthy, <laughs> Lord, this is hard, but worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Or pick the third song and glance at your affluence. Glance at the good gift of money and possessions. But see how they can be a sugar high for the soul and don't really satisfy ultimately. And then gaze at your Lord and keep gazing at him. Allow these corrective lenses to help you see him for who he really is and how you can enjoy fellowship with him that really does satisfy. And then join every creature in heaven and on earth, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever. Friends, God's plans and purposes are coming to pass. For the lion has conquered as a lamb. Let us gaze at him together. Would you pray with me? And I want to invite you, maybe even with your eyes closed, for concentration. To 
to acknowledge to God what's been filling your vision, distracting your heart, clouding your gaze. That you might, yes, glance at your problems, but then redirect your gaze. Or it might be that you surrender to Christ and what he's done for the first time. Hmm. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this vision that we so desperately need. Help us now to gaze more and more at you, the lion who conquered by sacrifice as a lamb. Help us, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.